0: Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We've been out of the country. We traveled to the Ukraine and Poland border to meet with a group of veterans who are running medical supplies and humanitarian aid into Ukraine. And while they're there, they're teaching TCCC classes to civilians and defense forces. Make sure you check out that article on popsmokemedia.com. We also want to give a shout out to Gruntstyle for all their charitable efforts recently with Operation Community and Save Our Allies and things of that nature. Got a a couple great rad-ups about them, too. Also, we want to give a shout out to Field Seats. We have uh, one of their founders coming on the podcast here next week. It's a great way that you can win a firearm and uh, get a fantastic review from uh, industry experts as well. So make sure you check out FieldSeats.com and please enjoy this following interview. It is a very important topic uh, that we really would appreciate your support. After you listen to the story, please call your representative and ask them uh, why there hasn't been accountability for this. Enjoy. Enjoy. In 2017, a group of U.S. service members were ambushed in Nigeria. The attack left several of them dead. Redacted reports would lead you to believe that the service members went rogue or somehow were responsible for their own fate through reckless behavior. However, multiple investigations have proven that the orders came from the highest level of command. The mission was set and conducted outside of approved parameters. Not only did they besmirch the memory of the fallen warriors, By saying that their conduct was unbecoming, they lied to the American people and the family members of those uh, brave soldiers who paid the ultimate price. Joining us today is the widow of Staff Sergeant Black, uh, Michelle Black, who is here to tell us the truth and everything that she has found out through her own investigation and her own due diligence and hard work to get justice for her husband. Michelle, welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So you recently put out a book, and I, I want people to go out and buy it because it's a fantastic read. It reads more like an investigative piece than um, than you would typically think it would be of a, of a gold star widow of a memoir. But there are a few really key points that I, I think bear discussion outside of reading the book in itself. And first and foremost is that the, the soldiers that were there had multiple occasions said that they did not feel comfortable with certain areas. They thought certain areas were dangerous. They didn't like going these places. And then when the ambush occurred, they faced um, astronomical odds and, you know, they, they did their absolute best to be able to uh, fight through and, and um, keep each other safe the best that they could. And then when everything came to lay bare, those who were at the comfort of the command tents had the audacity to not only lie to the families, But then to try to somehow say that the people who are out there were not acting in accordance with the the rules and regulations when they were the ones who specifically ordered uh, missions and had a habitual uh, tendency to copy and paste things and to approve missions that should not have been approved.
1: Correct. We were told that the team had essentially had a cavalier attitude towards the risk um near the Mali border which is you know heavily uh well it's just filled with all sorts of terrorist activity and um it's very dangerous so we were told that my husband's team um had a cavalier attitude towards the risk and that they were acting like a bunch of cowboys and essentially went rogue trying to track down a terrorist which is insane. I had just had a conversation with my husband on the phone before they left on the mission, where he stated to me that they were being sent up on a mission near the Mali border, and he was not happy that they didn't like going up there and that it was dangerous. So to then hear after his death that he had a cavalier attitude towards the risk and was acting like a cowboy, um, and involved in you know this rogue mission was laughable, but also very insulting.
0: And well, you know, we're very sorry for your loss. And I think beyond that, the the idea that uh, you know our special operators, our Green Break community, they're supposed to be the consummate professionals. Their uh, conduct is supposed to be above reproach. They're supposed to be you know among the best in the world. And the idea that people at the command level saw this behavior and supposedly allow it like that, that seems kind of suspicious. Like if if they're supposed to be the best of the best and you were saying that you willfully witness them have a cavalier or, you know, rogue cowboy mentality, but you didn't step in to correct it. That kind of, that kind of makes me feel that uh, their side of the take is erroneous and that there was probably a lot more to it, which would probably explain why so much of the report was redacted.
1: Correct. Yeah. The level of redactions within the report was um, it, it was both just crazy, but also um, very suspicious, you know, before my husband even left on deployment. And this is why I also was um, very, you know, suspicious of what I was being told. He my husband was the medic. And so one thing he always looked into is, hey, what are the medevac times? If we have a casualty, how long will it take to evacuate them when we're out on a mission? Because then that has to be worked into our risk assessment. And he found that the numbers they were being given were wrong. They were being told that the evacuation times were two to three hours. And when he looked at the in-country assets, he discovered that it was closer to five hours to evacuate any casualties. And so he was very aware that when they were being sent on these missions up towards the Mali border um, and these areas that were just basically run by the terrorists, he knew very well, if we get up there and we get into a situation, we will lose somebody because even if it's if it's an injury that normally if we evacuated them in time, they can survive from, the evacuation times are so long We can't save people with five hours to recover from that. It's just, it's way too risky. And so that was another reason why as we were being told things and I was told about my husband's cavalier attitude and acting like a cowboy, it just didn't ring right. And I knew that he had told me he had addressed the casualty evacuation times with his leadership and just been kind of um, ignored or kind of given the attitude of, well, we know that, but we, we can't really change it. So it it wasn't really, nothing was ever done about it. And there were several other things in country like that. Like the, there was, there were issues with their vehicles not being sufficient for um, the terrain they were working in that had been um, the guys on the teams had been taking that up with, um, higher level officials for years, and it had been ignored. And now that was a huge problem when they were ambushed. Um, so there were multiple issues that when I was being told my husband's team was had a cavalier attitude, it I just thought, now, from what I've seen over the years, the cavalier attitude is by those higher up the chain.
0: And in your book, Sacrifice, A Gold Star's Widow Fight for the Truth, You interviewed people who were there when it happened, Uh, people who didn't want to talk to the press or people who didn't want to um, give public statements like they, they saw your hard work, they saw your diligence, they knew your relationship, they knew your husband, and they gave you a firsthand account of what happened. And that greatly differed from the bits of the reports that weren't redacted.
1: Yes, the men on the ground, um, they didn't want to speak to media, they didn't want to speak to anyone, but they were willing to sit down with me one-on-one and um, go through what happened on the ground. And not just the men on the ground um, from Team 3212, but also Team Arlett, the Helleborn unit, who was supposed to go in and got turned around, which left my husband's team to do the mission alone. And so I also interviewed the team Arlet commander um, and they ended up being involved in the recovery of the team later on when um, Sergeant David Johnson went missing and also when they went in to find the bodies of the fallen. So they recovered my husband, um, Dustin and Jeremiah, as well as David a few days later.
0: And so, this was all. This all came about of the fact that the the feeling that you had about what you were being told just wasn't sitting well. And so, what kind of led you to want to look more into um, the, the the findings that led you to realize that uh, you and the other families had been lied to?
1: One huge piece was that as they were telling us that the conops. Uh, or the, the the team was cavalier and um, acted like a cowboy. Their proof their proof was the CONOPS or concept of operations reports that the men had created. The problem with that was that there were three CONOPS. There was one when the men went out on their initial mission, and that was the only CONOP created by the team. But all of the blame was placed upon that one con-op despite the fact that there were two follow-on con-ops created by those higher up the chain and they're the ones who pushed the team ahead multiple times um, following that and those con-ops were responsible, were they covered the missions or the portion of the missions that directly led to the ambush. Yet somehow I was being told when we finally were briefed by investigators that those last two con ops had absolutely nothing to do with the ambush because they were approved at the highest levels, but that the first CONOP was responsible for um, loss of life and that it was the captain's problem because the captain was a cowboy. And then I was told that Um, he didn't get the proper approvals and if they had had the proper approvals on that first mission then they would have never um been sent you know further on and that they would have been better equipped which is it's crazy um not only to that
0: i'm sorry go ahead
1: not only was the mission that the men went out on um properly characterized on the first mission it was the only successful mission completed and they were heading back home
0: and additionally to that uh, they tried to pin the captain by saying that he didn't do the proper uh, rehearsals when there were a few factors that that worked into that Uh, one not being given the proper time to conduct rehearsals and then two how can you really uh, conduct rehearsals for being ambushed from anywhere between 80 to 200 enemy fighters
1: Right. And, and they were saying that the men hadn't done the proper rehearsals and at the same time, what they failed to mention as they criticized the men for not properly assessing risk, not properly conducting the re- the rehearsals, they did not mention the fact that they had an approval matrix AFRICOM and those higher up the chain that required them to give a certain amount of time, um, to these teams on the ground to uh you know like preparation time before going on these missions and they were approving these missions outside that approval matrix and so they actually were giving these teams like so little time i think the team had a total of an hour and a half between getting to their position and then getting rest because they literally drove through the night. So they had about an hour and a half to sleep and were on rehearsals and make a plan before continuing their drive up and then doing the mission. So to give them an hour and a half and say, well, they didn't do their, they didn't do proper rehearsals when they had already been up for 24 hours. They didn't mention that in any of the briefings, any of the reports, and no one was held accountable for that.
0: And so it just it just from my perspective, and I, I know you're the subject matter expert in this, you spent so much time investigating, but from, from my perspective, from just you know, look reading through your book and, and seeing the things that you put out there, is that the uh, the people who were the most accountable took the least amount of punishment. and the people who paid the highest price were thrown under the bus. And then not only that, but then the, uh, the awards that they were giving didn't even match up with the actions compared to other groups that had done similar things.
1: That's exactly right. You know, but but me and my father-in-law and my mother-in-law always talk about this, that you can't highly decorate a team that you're claiming is, you know, um, a bunch of cowboys, a, a rogue team. So they had to choose, you know, are we going to just completely lambast them and also not properly award them? Or, you know, punish the right people and, and reward the right people. And so they, they chose, you know, what I believe is the wrong choice. They made the wrong choice.
0: And so once you had all your findings, once you had all your interviews and once you had connected all the dots and you brought this to the army to say, Hey, I think I was lied to. I think this is what really happened. uh, Were you met with pushback? Did anyone uh, try to help you? What, what was that experience? To be quite honest, I tried when we went
1: to our initial family briefing and I walked through, you know, they walked me through their version of events on the ground and I pushed back and asked plenty of questions. I was treated um, pretty terribly, very, a lot of condescending, you know, trust us, Miss Black type of answers when they asked me to give input on, you know, ways to improve. And I gave a suggestion. They basically um, laughed off my suggestion. And it was very clear that they had little respect for me or my my family. And so at that point, when I did figure out what happened, I didn't even bother taking it to the military. They knew what they did. It, it was a choice. It wasn't... Um, it wasn't something they were not, you know, it's not as though they were not aware what they did. They, they knew what they did. Those who ran the investigation, I believe did it on purpose to cover for higher officials. And because so bringing it wouldn't themselves. have changed anything. I'm sorry.
0: Because they, uh, they were responsible for their own internal investigation. So any sort of mis- uh, misdeeds or misconduct would have fallen on the boss of the investigators.
1: That's exactly right. In fact, it was really interesting because I found during my investigation that, you know, SOC Africa, Special Operations Command Africa, had initially, their three-star command, they had initially opened up an investigation into the incident and they were instantly shut down by AFRICOM, the four-star command. And then AFRICOM proceeded to investigate AFRICOM. That alone showed me that this was a decision from the beginning to make sure that certain players, certain responsible parties, were covered.
0: And so, in your uh, quest to find tr- the the truth of the matter and to really get justice for um, you know those who had to lay down their lives for the the poor decisions of people that are supposed to be trust, trusted with, you know, massive decisions. You have three stars and four stars. They're supposed to be in charge of, you know, wars. And, the, you know, the decisions that they led to really punished a small special operations team to the highest extent. And so in your quest to, to seek this justice, uh, you know, where are you now? You, you published your book, uh, I, I believe, about um, sometime last summer. And, um, you know, what, what has come of that?
1: Um, well, it's, it's brought a lot more awareness. Um, I believe, you know, hopefully the book will continue to grow in popularity and spread and the truth will continue to get out there. Um, what I'm doing moving forward is I've begun to work, um, hopefully to see this through, I, I, I'm working on legislation and I hope to bring it before, um, Congress and the Senate, and and hopefully in the future, get it pushed through um, to change the way we run investigations within the military to have better oversight, so that this can't happen again. Um, so that you know we don't keep having these these commands run investigations and lie to the families. Um, it's just it's not acceptable. We've paid the ultimate you know, the ultimate price, and then to Destroy those who actually lost their lives um, for this country. And, um, you know, I think for me, it it was amazing to watch my husband, Dustin, Jeremiah, and the David be completely dishonored after their sacrifice um, by being blamed. And I think that happens all too often and it's not acceptable. So, as I move forward, that's what I hope to do is to um, see some laws changed that will make sure this doesn't occur in the future.
0: Well, recently there were, there was changes made to the way that DOD uh, investigates other types of uh, misconducts and um, not allowing chains, uh, chains of command to investigate themselves for uh, various assaults and harassment and, and things of that nature. So we already have the groundwork saying that sometimes the military cannot be trusted to investigate itself. And I think that this is another shining example to that point. So uh, what can we as the, uh, the smoke pit community do to help? Um, is there anything that um, you know, you're, you're looking for? Or are you looking for people to contact representatives? Is, are, are there, is there an email list? Is, you know, how, how can we help?
1: Um, I would say just at this point, Follow me on social media and as um, I'm beginning to work with some lobbyists and as I begin to get this leg- legislation going, I will be posting things and then I will have all sorts of um, things that I need. Okay, you know, support me here. Let's sign this. Let's contact your senator on this bill so um, or congresswoman. So, you know, those are the kind of things I'll need. I'll need help with um, in the future. But right now, because of the fact that we're going into you know another election cycle, it'll have to be when the new Congress is in session. So right now we're just looking at um, kind of building what we're going to want to do and preparing it so that we can present it to um, the next Congress once it's in session.
0: And where can we find you on social media?
1: Um, you can find my website at um, Michelle Black sacrifice.com or on all social media, I'm Michelle Black 71.
0: All right, well, uh, thank you so much for um, uh, for sharing all that uh, with us. And uh, we we understand that um, it, it is very hard to be defined by some of the uh, the the more difficult situations in in your life in this case, whether it be, uh, you know, the loss of a loved one, or being lied to, or being stonewalled. You know, in your in your uh, search for justice. But um, what what do you wish people uh, knew more about you and your story? Because uh, when I was reading through your book, I, I was pleasantly surprised that you know, it isn't just like a gut punch the entire time. Obviously, there is tragedy, there is heartbreak, but it seems like you do have a very good message of hope and inspiration.
1: Yeah, you know, and that's the thing about this book that I always hope people take away is that it's not this, you know, big book on grief. It's it's about resiliency and fighting for justice and doing what's right, no matter the cost um, and no matter what you go through. You know, there's there's always it always ends. And there can be good that comes out of every horrible situation. So um, I think that's a huge message is just, you know, yeah, I lost my husband. My kids lost their dad. And we'll never, we'll never, um, that can never be replaced. But if I can change things for the better for future generations of soldiers, then, you know, that will be, it'll make it worth it. The The sacrifice will have been worth it. And I think Brian would say the same thing, that to see things improve for future soldiers and their families, it will have been worth the loss of his life to see that change.
0: And looking at this from a, uh, a long-term perspective, um, is, is there a, a definitive action or is there a definitive change specifically that you would consider to be um what would justify the loss well i I guess i would say is what if you had a desired like a goal line where once you cross a certain point you're like this is this is it this is what i was trying to accomplish what do you think that looks like
1: i think it's going to be years in the making but what i would like to see um is the soldiers on the ground to actually have more of a voice. The thing is right now, and it's, it's become a bad culture, especially within the special forces community. If you see a problem and you are an enlisted soldier and you speak up, that's going to just fall back on you and you will not see anything change. Instead, you will most likely receive some sort of punishment for voicing your concerns. And so we've seen it over and over. There was a letter that circulated not long after Brian was killed that basically pointed out all of the issues currently within um, special forces. And instead of the leadership taking that um, write up, and beginning to say, hey, we ought to look at this and correct some of these things. They made their priority um, hunting down the author of that letter and seeing to it that he was punished. So what I would like to do is in the future, provide a voice for those soldiers um, to see things changed, whether that's, even if we have to change it through legislation. So that they have somewhere to go and we can actually make productive changes that will make their jobs as soldiers more um, so that they can focus more on their job and less on all of these politics.
0: And I, um, I, I definitely see how that could really contribute there. Uh, is also an old saying that, you know, I am responsible for the morale, uh, proficiency, and discipline of, of of my men, and their performance will reflect an image of me. And so I, I kind of feel that, uh, one, wh- I, I guess, one of the hardest pills to swallow about all of this, which there are many, obviously, is that uh, you have a command that is so quick to, to cast shade or to cast doubt on the uh, tactical proficiency and the professionalism of a group while somehow trying to act like they are not directly responsible if that was also the case.
1: Yes. And I, you know, I watched so many times where when Brian was active, there would be a leader who was consistently an issue and every single person on the teams would raise um, their voice about it and, and nothing would be done. And they would just, that leader would continue to be promoted. And Rise through the ranks and continue causing more issues. So, you know, we they need to have there needs to be something that stops this. Just because you are an officer or in a position of leadership does not mean you have a right to continue to lead. You need to be able to actually lead and be respected by the people below you. Because when you're leading people into war, the cost is lives.
0: And you are absolutely right. That is uh, even supported by um, Marine Corps Warfighting Doctrine, where it says until a leader has reached a decision, uh, it is the duty of their subordinates to offer their opinion on the matter. And uh, furthermore, that yes men will not be tolerated. And I, I feel that um, yeah, this isn't uh, all the way across the board. So if there are you know any uh, any good officers out there listening, uh, don't send me any angry messages. But I think you could they would probably also agree that one of the more frustrating things is seeing somebody fail upward.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing. There are so many just fantastic leaders, you know, I'm very close with, you know, some three-star generals and, you know, even four-star generals and different, um, you know, all the way down to colonels and lieutenant colonels. I've made so many good friends um, throughout the military community that are phenomenal leaders and it's very frustrating for me to see that you know there are leaders who just like you said they fail up because we don't have a process in place to get rid of them something's failing us and in the end that fails those on the ground and it does cost lives and that's not acceptable
0: and I completely agree uh so is there anything that you wish people knew about you personally or your family with dealing with this? Because it is, it is easy to kind of tight cast people into certain groups. And as you said earlier, you know, your message is not a, a message of grief, but rather of perseverance and, um, and continuing to honor the, the legacy of, of your late husband. So is there anything about uh, you or your family that, that you wish people knew uh, knew?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, I think when, you know, because I come from a completely non-military family, and when I used to look at the military, I thought military families were like military families for forever, Um, you know, and and I thought that that's what you did after high school. You went into the military because you, you know, you weren't going to go to college, and there were no options, and I didn't understand um, what I do now, which is, Um, You know, I married Brian, we had both finished college. And he went in just because he wanted to serve. And it wasn't really a lifetime thing. He didn't want to, you know, go all the way through to retirement, he just really wanted to be a Green Beret, and do that job for a period of time. And, you know, so for us, it wasn't this this whole life army thing, it was a it was a, a small part of our lives, and unfortunately, it cost Brian his. But um, you know, life is about just so much, and we all suffer losses. You know, so many people this year have suffered loss from COVID, and um, over the last two years, really. And in the end. You know, we all recover and we all can. Um, you're never gonna forget that person, and that loss is always a part of your life. But that doesn't mean that life can't be good from then on out. You know, so we've all suffered losses. My family has suffered a lot of losses, you know, between when I was a teenager being diagnosed with epilepsy to having a child on the autism spectrum. And, you know, I've, I've suffered a lot of losses, but. Life is amazing. You know, it really is good. And I tell my boys that all the time. You just have to learn with learn to live with, you know, the losses. And that's okay.
0: Well, thank you very much for uh, for sharing that with us. We um we we appreciate your your words of inspiration and and all your hard work and um in truly saying that not only that your husband receives justice but then the, the family members and of uh, the others that were present there as well, and I, I feel that's incredibly important. And we we thank you for that. And is there anything else that you'd, you'd like to leave our listeners with uh, before we let you get out of here?
1: Um, just that you know, our armed forces, despite the cost, despite everything, freedom is it comes at such a high price. But we would we would give it all all over again. So.
0: And um, are there any thoughts that you have um, as as still being part of a, a military community? I have I've seen in, in other interviews that you do that, you know, you, you might think that somebody who went through your circumstance might have a lot of animosity towards the military as a whole, but it, it seems like you're on the opposite end of the spectrum. You just want this specific instance to be rectified?
1: Absolutely. I love the military. Um, my son wants to go into it, so I um, mean he probably will, and I fully support that. Um, you know, it, it, there's so many good things about the military, the discipline it teaches, the respect for everyone. Um, you have to learn to work well, with others and people from all sorts of backgrounds and from all over the world and all over the country, it's really a unique. Um, it's really a unique community. So I love the military. I think it. I think everyone should serve. But um, unfortunately, just like you know, with the police force, there's a few bad apples that ruin it for everybody. And but, you know, I think it would be great if we can start to. Like I said, put in legislation to deal with those um, that shouldn't be there.
0: Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, is there any uh, any sort of maybe uh, guidance or nudging that uh, you might give your son if he decides to join the military? Maybe uh, you know steer him towards a, a certain uh, branch or a certain job, or uh, you know maybe. At this point, I want him to live a little
1: bit of life before he goes in, just because I would like, you know, his brain to be fully developed (laughs) and him to really think through what he wants before he goes in. You know, because if he just enlists and he's not sure what he wants to do, um, that's different than going to college, having a little bit of life experience and saying, oh, I would love to be a medic or I would love to work on, you know, um, engines. So I'd like him to get a little bit of life experience before he goes in, because I'd like him to make that decision himself and not be swayed by, by a recruiter or by his mom. So, yeah.
0: That was a very loving answer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, because I could give him all sorts of opinions, but
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. As technology continues to uh, advance, and you know we continue to age, it'd be nice to have a kid who was in a in cybersecurity and in uh cryptology and all that stuff.
1: Oh yeah, that would be amazing.
0: <laughs> I just said that cryptology really- and I know that's not what that means, please don't anybody send me an angry message. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, so thank you so much for for that is a uh, are are there any groups or uh, any uh, organizations or anybody that you've been working with that you'd like to to give a quick shout out to?
1: Oh, you know, um right now I sit on the board with the um Gold Star Memorial Foundation. And um, we're building a monument in Lacey. And I just, you know, I love what Woody, um, Herschel Woody Williams does with that. And um, Special Operations Warrior Foundation has been absolutely amazing, helping my kids with, you know, getting everything, anything and everything they need. And of course, the Gary Sinise Foundation and Wear Blue Run to Remember, which we do every single year, and, um, there's one more I'm forgetting. Oh, and a hero's promise. They do so much for my kids. So, um, yeah, really great organizations.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, we, we pre- definitely appreciate organizations like that. It's incredibly important. So, uh, Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your story. Thank you for, uh, your strength. And I, I know that this can't be, uh, fun to, to keep talking about over and over, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, when Everything uh, kind of comes to its resolution. There will be so many people who are really appreciative of your effort.
1: Thank you so much, Dan. I really appreciate you having me on.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, one more time. Uh, could you please tell us your uh, your um, social media and your uh, book?
1: Michelle black sacrifice.com um, and Michelle Black 71. Look for my book Sacrifice: A Gold Star Widow's Fight for the Truth. And you can find it anywhere books are sold. It's even on Audible, Kindle, hardback, and soon to be out on paperback.
0: Well, thank you again. And uh, fair winds following seas. We'll see you next time here in the Smoke Pit. Mm -hmm.